name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Sherry. I used to be a spy. And this is Burn Bonus, the bonus episode for the show Burn Noticed about Michael Weston, a spy. Um, so, regrettably... Brie is so mad. I'm, I'm genuinely do... so mad. <laughs> Even that amount of intro. Well, especially for the fucking shit that we watched for this episode, Chris. Do you blame me? It's not for the show. It's for us. It's for the audience. Mm-hmm. It's branding. We're just having the same conversation that we had off mic again. And that's what being podcasters mic. is. Exactly. It's just having the same conversation twice. One of which you're a little bit louder for. Yeah. And it's recorded. One of which is content. <laughs> One of which is content. One of it is just... <sighs> well, I don't know if you guys can tell from the audio quality. We'll see what the audio quality is, but uh, I'm looking at her right now. Yes. And not because we're on Zoom, but because she's in my home. She's invaded. Of course, because we never looked at each other when like, we were on Zoom, and we were never on Zoom. We were yeah, we were almost phone. never on Zoom. Because Bree does not want to look at me. I and really I, don't want to be perceived. Exactly. And I don't want to look at her. Um, yeah, neither of us want to look at me. And exactly. it's a real bummer that we now are forced to. Exactly. So we we don't know if this will be the full-time situation because we've been remote recording since like late 2019 for the yeah, most part. For most of the run of the podcast because like we decided to make this podcast in like what a month later I moved away. I, I think it was probably two months later. I think we did most of season one together right. and then probably season two on we were remote. I mean, I mean, we obviously, we did Brie and Chris are depressed together. Exactly. So no, like yeah. we had done a lot of podcasts exactly. physically in the same space. But we had never done that much of this one. No. And so now that Brie has decided to follow me, mm-hmm. like the follower yeah. that she is. I, I prefer the term stalking, if you don't mind. I'm reclaiming stalking as a You're positive thing. St- but just for me. No one else yeah. can use it. If you say the word stalking, I'll be offended, but also I'll be mad that you haven't used it for me. This is my new thing. I know. It, <laughs> being obnoxious is your old thing. Fuck, you're right. But yeah, so we're for at least the bonus episodes for between seasons, God, five and six. Right? Yeah. yeah no, because we just finished five. We only have two more seasons of Burn Notice wow. left. Wow. I don't genuinely I don't know what to do with myself after that like what will my life be it will be like you know b b n a b n yeah it's true or even just like b n a n before notice after notice no I prefer b b n it's like b b 8 but sadder and more toxically masculine of course. <laughs> so what are we talking about this this week, this bonus episode? We're talking about a television show. We're talking about, when we're talking two, about two television, television shows. shows. One of them is called Complications. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Extremely good name for a television show. Exactly. I need not to get too far into this at the very beginning, but I explained the premise of the show to my friend and she was like what did they call it do no harm i was like no that was another show they couldn't do it they had to call it complications oh god yeah so we watched complications in apb and like holy shit this wow. was the worst bo- bonus episode we oh, had to totally. do and like the comedians was bad but it was like I could watch it and uh-huh. like, you know, I was in like a slight amount of pain the whole time, but yeah. I'm, a, I'm a woman. I live in a slight exactly. amount of pain all the time, you know, it's just sort of a thing. I, <laughs> but yeah, I watched the comedians, like the comedians was bad. I prefer the transphobia. Yeah, I kind of do too. I, to like, so like the full privatization of the police force. The things that we watch today and 
No, I just really, it was, I feel like I've had an arc with Matt Nix. Okay. Wherein we started, and I feel like we were a little hostile to Matt Nix. Mm-hmm. Well, because we were really leaning into like, we're doing a comedy recap podcast of a silly procedural. And as time went by and the Burn Notice family became my family, <laughs> like, and as we had interactions with people mm-hmm. who worked on the show, I felt more of a need to be nice. Not even a need to be nice, but just a want to be nice, a mm-hmm. desire to be nice. Like, I've always said, I like this show because it would be worse if I didn't like it. Right. My life would be worse if I didn't like Burn Notice. My life would be worse if I didn't like Matt Nix because he, for better or for worse, is a part of my life now. Yes, we are. We have both become intimate with Matt Nix. Exactly. With Daddy Nix. With Daddy Nix. With Big Daddy. And so watching these two episodes of television was just like a, like a bucket of cold water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what it was. It was certainly a a rude awakening. Daddy slapped us awake and said, stop idealizing me. I'm a person. You little bitches. You know how Mad Nick's talks. Exactly. (laughs) So. By all accounts, he's a lovely guy. Yeah, he seems lovely. The one event that I, like, not scammed my way into, but, like, got into and felt like I was scamming my way into. I mean, everything that you've done, you've scammed your way into. That's true, yeah. Like, the fact that I'm alive is a little bit of a scam. But, like, the event that I watched him... That's a little bit capitalism. All capitalism is scamming yourself into things. That's true. That's extremely true. But, yeah, he seemed like a nice guy. He was... There was that event about him, like, moderating a women directors showcase Uh thing. Very weird choice. Mm -hmm. He seemed delightful. Yeah. You know, a little basic, a little like everyone kind of going, why are you here? But he seemed nice. And then, you know, I, I interviewed actually a writer on APV, uh, Jorge Rivera, who went to uh-huh. our graduate program for my other podcast. And he, he did actually mention Matt Nix in that podcast and said, hey, I know you do that for notice podcast. I worked with Matt on uh, APV. He was a great boss. He was a really nice guy. And I, you know, I felt even more bolstered because I feel like we had mm-hmm. similar arcs, you and I, in terms of... <laughs> Our feelings about Big Daddy. Our feelings about Big Daddy, but oh my god. These two shows. Let's get into it. I say we should start with complications and then go into APB. Fascinating, because I have nothing to say about APB other than I think that it's a disgusting thing that should not exist. That is true. Actually, (laughs) you make a good point. There's a little more to unpack with complications. There's more to unpack with complications. That's true. Like, I watched complications and reacted to a lot of things like throughout <laughs> yeah whereas like i was texting and looking at my phone for the second half of apb so that so, was the opposite for me oh i mean i didn't really i okay i watched both of these but apb after i realized what the premise was i was so angry i was mostly just live texting you right and, like cooking dinner because i was like i if i look too close at this i will fly into a rage and i'm so I, angry and then i watched the shows and did the same thing to Bree. <laughs> yes exactly I literally, this is what friendship is exactly all right let's get out of the way apb because you're right there is less to apb yeah so apb was created by matt nix and david slack yeah the which hell like, that is that is a guy it was his script like yeah it was like a story by written by kind yeah, of a situation like he had the story script like I think it was also this based was, on like a real thing. You know it was, that, right? Yeah, I saw there was like no, it says in the opening credits, like 
based on an article. Yeah. Uh, I, I read the article. I'll tell you about it. Oh, please tell me about it because I did not read it. But anyways, just, just to get the like high level stuff out of the way. So created by Matt Nix and David Slack premiered February 6th, 2017. David Slack of the Slack fortune. He invented, his dad invented Slack. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so premiered 2017, February 6th. Uh, it was on Fox and was blessedly canceled after one season. My high level log line for this is dangerously naive at best, blatant capitalist propaganda at worst. And also what if Iron Man had a trauma in America and not in the Middle East? Yeah. That's no, what the show is. The show is literally just, the thing is, Bree told me this uh-huh. and, and I read her text and I thought, well, yeah, like, what if there was, like, a rich guy who got in, put in charge of, like, a police station or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's literally Iron Man. Like, it's literally no, like, Iron Man. The first scene of this television show is just the beginning of Iron Man, but cheaper. Literally, it's, like, Justin Kirk, who plays our, like, Tony Stark. His name is Gideon Reeves, which is somehow a more comic booky name than Tony Stark. <laughs> is like out in like a desert setting mm-hmm. doing a weapons demonstration for buyers. Well, technically after... not a weapons demonstration. Because well, yes. it's like he's talking to oil executives. Yeah. And his big pitch is like, aren't oil fires bad? And, right. You know, I think we can all agree. Yeah. Well, oil fires are bad. The thing about the, the main difference between Iron Man and this show is budget. <laughs> like, here's the thing. There's this whole scene wherein like Tony Stark puts on this whole, like, show. And the idea is that afterwards, like, his buddy is like, you put on too big of a show and people are upset that they were shit, whatever. Like, why did you have to make a big scene like that? Mm -hmm. It was not a big show. It was, like, a small show. Well, okay, so we're not going to recap actual Iron Man. We're recapping APB, Iron Man Light. And And so what happens is that, so, like, the premise is that oil fires are bad. And they are hard the to premise put out. of this like scene, not yes, the this show. First scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the show has nothing to do with oil. Unfortunately, no. I feel like that would have been a more interesting exploration. But anyways, so they they're they're all on a like they're outside for some reason. And I, as like a very rich like oil person, would be like, why are we doing this outdoors? This sucks. This sucks ass. Like I'm right. the CEO, so I don't have to be outside in the blinding sun. But um, he's like, so it's hard to put out oil fires. It's dangerous to put out oil fires. Like you know. We got to protect our people, which like automatically I was in the back of my head. I was like, something's weird about the fact that a lot of his pitch is like, we got to protect the workers. And I was like, I know you don't care about that baby Tony Stark. But anyways, so he sets like a blaze of fire, uh, a circle of trust, as it were, from for our burn notice people out there. Remember the circle of trust? Yeah, except it looks much worse. I need to understand. (laughs) Like, Well, it's during the daytime. So daytime fire rings. No, but it's not even a ring. It's like. There are like a dozen or like a dozen, like 18 or so, just like little torches, essentially, that yeah, come he, out of the ground. He does some tiki torch lighting. Like, yeah, it's literally like you could see better special effects if you go to watch Phantom of the Opera. Like mm-hmm. it's like. Or if you come to my house right now and I light a sparkler. Exactly. For you. Like it is not like impressive. No. And then like his big thing is I have a drone. That can put out the fires. With, I think, like, little explosions? Yeah, like, like, but they're, like, yeah, concussive, like, basically, he's blowing up fire. 
Sure. Which yeah. sounds cool, but it doesn't look cool. No, but it like it does look very kind of dangerous, you know, because all these people are on their little folding chairs, which again, huge red flag for me as a CEO, but whatever. But again, <laughs> it looks like dangerous, like dangerous like in the sense, dangerous? like like teenage yeah, dangerous. Exactly. It looks dangerous in the way that if you did it right now in real life, <laughs> I would be go, "What the fuck are you doing?" Sure. But like on a television show, <laughs> it doesn't look dangerous. But the camera move made it feel like it's supposed to be. And, like, and that's kind of the thing. Like, I will say, there's so many things that are awful about this television show. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest sin is that it made me want to turn it off and watch Iron Man instead. (laughs) I love the first Iron Man. I know. It's like, Like, if you're going to... At least its propaganda is interesting. Yeah. I, I do sort of appreciate the way that it takes the premise of Iron Man and makes it text. The subtext of Iron Man sure. is like, because this really is just what Iron Man is. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, um, if you want to keep going with the plot. Yeah, so 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 from here, from this like demonstration, uh, his like business partner or whatever, who I, later on, he's like, he's my best friend, but their interactions seem very like business partner level. Right. So they're in the car and his business to be partner. Fair, to be fair, we are friends and I only ever talk to you like that. Yeah, well, I feel like you and I have a, a companionness to our uh, com- companionability, compan- companionable tone. Yeah, know? sure, whatever, bitch. <laughs> but like, that isn't even what they're doing. Like, their conversations are like, "You shouldn't have done the thing with the drones." Oh, come on, have fun. No, I will not have fun. The profit margins, something, something, something. I don't right. know. It felt very stilted. It felt very. It, it stilted. felt very Matt Nix dialogue. Anyways. It felt very Matt Nix dialogue. It felt very. This is an actor that we cast to die in a couple scenes. Exactly. But apparently they're very close friends. And yes. so for whatever reason, they need to stop at a bodega. Or I think like, I think baby Tony Stark gets upset that his business partner is like, stop pulling shit like this. And he's like, but I'm baby, baby Tony Stark. I should be able to do what I want. Pull over. I want to go to a bodega. Cause you know, it has to be kind of his fault. That I need you. This. I need you guys to understand <laughs> that I, the d- producers and the directors had to have sat Justin Kirk down in front of like a DVD of Iron Man <laughs> and just said, do that. Just do it's literally like the delivery is exactly the yeah, same. It is an imitation of the original Iron Man movie. So he goes into this bodega and there's like a way too long scene where he's just like in a bodega talking about smoking and like getting lighters or whatever. And then two like armed gunmen come in with like, you know, ski masks and the whole shebang. And so he looks kind of scared. And then they see, they hear him trying to call 911. Um, and here's the first, you know, unacceptable thing that happens to him that, you know, triggers the, the thing that he does and eventually. So he's on the phone with 911 and they're like, please hold, which I don't think is a real thing. I think that that's a crazy thing to think and I, I they're in chicago i think yeah, they're in and chicago. so he's in chicago he's at a bodega he's on the phone with 911 they like, put him on hold they're in chicago strike one it feels like they're in omaha yeah. it does not feel mm. like chicago especially because they we were like out of town like we were in like this desert weird like yeah. fields area and then they're just driving back like it, yeah it does not feel it like a not, big city it does not feel like a big city at all like, I don't even think they tell us that it's Chicago until he goes to the police station. But anyway, so 911 puts him on hold and he like cowers, but then like, you know, the hold music or whatever, like triggers the robbers to learn he's there. And so they're like, Hey, come here. And he's like, here, here's my wallet. There's a thousand dollars in there. Just take it. Whatever. Like, please don't hurt me. And then they hear like 911. What's your emergency? Like from the phone. And they're like, Hey, how dare you? And he's like, no, please. I'm sorry. I won't make any trouble. And then they like see a picture of him on a magazine. So they know who yeah, he is. He's like literally 
sitting right next to a picture of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so they're like, ooh, we can get way more money out of you. And then the like, caped exactly. crusader. <laughs> yeah, the thing is that, like, they it seems like they're going to kidnap him like Tony Stark. Right. But this show doesn't have the budget for that. Mm-mm. Yeah, that would be too much. Um, and somebody else hasn't died tragically yet. So uh, just in time, just on cue, best friend, business boy, runs in and like, I, you know, tries to fight off the robbers. He gets shot. The robbers leave. Uh, and baby Tony Stark's friend like dies in his arms. And then it's like a smash cut to the police station where like he's trying to tell them about what happened. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're probably not going to solve this. Like, seems like a bummer, though. Like, sorry, dude. No, they're very... <laughs> specific yeah no we have no money well i think the money he's no i think that he infers it well because like the no i think the woman that he talks to specifically mentions he didn't talk to the woman first he talked to the man first and the man was like listen this seems like a really rough thing that happened to you i'm sorry but like these really don't get like uh solved and so he leaves and baby tony stark is like man that sucks and then the woman who becomes like a major character like leans over and is like hey don't be so hard on him like yeah, you know, look around you, <laughs> look at what he has to. Sorry, work I didn't think with. we were going that granular into this scene. Well, I, I th- it's it just goes to be like the the reason that I felt going granular was necessary is because the show sets it up like he's the first one to really notice. Like, wow, they don't have money. I guess that's why crime's so bad. And then we go to like a scene where he's in some kind of chambers. He's like, yeah, like it's a, like city hall or something. Yeah, but it, it looks like a city council meeting. Yeah. Again, it's some kind of it meeting. does not look like Chicago. Yeah. No, it still doesn't look like Chicago. It doesn't. Until like, somebody says like, this is the South side of Chicago or something. I was like, Oh, I guess that's where we are. And like, it doesn't like, it looks so small. And then, but basically they have a scene that's like any time that Tony Stark testifies before Congress, mm-hmm. except Small. Small so and it's meaner. And meaner. Be- so do you want to recap this part? Well, I mean, basically, he shows up and says, he's told them that he has a proposal, but then he just decides to be like all Tony Stark and just be mean and snarky to them mm-hmm. and talk about how he loved his best friend right. and how he's sad that that person died. Right. And so he says, you know what? I am rich. Just give me a police precinct. Just give it to me. Give it. <laughs> give me. And Give me that. And they're like, mm, I don't, I don't think so. And he's like, actually, yes, no, it's technically legal that you can give me a police station because the law says that I'm rich. <laughs> yeah. So there's some like bullshit thing he looked up and is like, I'm, I'm private citizens are allowed if you give me permission. And they're like, well, fuck you. We're not giving you permission. And he's like, cool. So I'll blackmail you. Yeah. He literally says like, he's called reporters mm-hmm. and says that like, I'm, trying to give the city money for free and i don't know why they don't want to take my free money and like he says if you don't take my free money i will bankroll your political opponents and i will get them elected and then i will ask them to like allow me to give them free money which like is painted as this cool crusading like look at a man using money right but like this was so there's already been like 18 red flags obviously for this show and as i'm realizing where this is going because i didn't look up what either of these shows were about i was just like i want to just have a fresh you know expectation i just want to go into it and as soon as this happens it's painted as cool it's not fucking cool it's it's a rich man saying i have an agenda 
and I will use my money to influence politics in a way that is completely undemocratic because I'm right. And we'll get into the psychology of that kind of character later yeah. when we do a full deep dive into daddy, because now we've watched all of his shows mm-hmm. and I feel like a little bit of a scholar in need of a daddy Stating, scholar, a daddy scholar, and I need to tell somebody. But yeah, so he basically blackmails them into giving him the police precinct, and then we have some like montage stuff of like his like teching it up, yeah. and it's literally like the you know the darkest timeline version of what we're in currently, where like right. the police get totally tricked out. Like they even mention that some of the new equipment is like military grade. Like, ooh, isn't it cool that it's military grade? And I'm like, military grade police shit wouldn't have saved your friend no you know what has probably saved your friend is like social services exactly and education There's the and idea, community support like the idea that like yeah the problem is that they don't have the right equipment but like again whatever you give military equipment to cops it turns them into soldiers like it's not like well yeah that's like the main thesis of Battlestar Galactica exactly Edward James Olmos at one point is like as su- like the military the people in the military are like trained to see like the other side as enemies when you make the military the cops they see the people as enemies exactly and that's unacceptable and also like this sort of idealized version of oh the reason crime doesn't get solved is because the cops would have money completely fails to account for the like root of crime yeah because it treats crime like a bygone a foregone conclusion like crime will happen so the police need money and military grade weaponry in order to stop it but it's like wait maybe let's take like two more steps back where does crime start? <laughs> exactly. There's no... And it's just... Yeah, there's this idea that, like, if you give these people money that, like, they will, like, suddenly... They want to do good things. But, like, all of the stuff that he's giving is, like, weaponry and surveillance. Right. Like, whereas, like, not... And they try to do a thing. They try to do a thing, like, try to both sides it a little, where they have, like, the other cop who's, like, the good cop, the TV version of a good cop who's, like... That's like police work makes it like yeah like, it's not about the toys it's about the it's about the the, the police work and like and knowing the, the community people. and all mm-hmm. this stuff and like that's true but like the thing is that like this version of police work is a version of police work that only exists on television yes this is not what police work is police work is like from its very conception is about like bullying minorities and like. Yeah. And so like the reason I want to do this show first is because I think that it'll be more productive to link to some things because I know a lot of our fans probably are like fans of police cops and have an idea of how police work works because of the way that we have been presented Big police cop fans. Exactly. And I used to be because I didn't I didn't think about it that deeply. I'm white. I've never had an interaction with police. And when you only consume like police. Wait, wait, hold on. Have you never had any interaction with the police? I've had one. Have you never been pulled over? No, because I'm an excellent driver. I'm a terrible driver. <laughs> that does not surprise me. I mean, you're very small. Everyone who's small that I know is not good at driving. Like my grandma is not that much shorter than you and is like a terrible driver. And you both have very nervous dispositions. It's like, you're both very small dogs in my mind. <laughs> Anyways, this is a tangent about how bad I knew Chris to be at driving before even really hearing it from her, but whatever. Oh, and oh my grandma's name is Chris, too. You're both Christines. You're oh, both wow. small Christines who are nervous little dogs and bad at driving. <laughs> but yeah, like, I, so the, I'm, I'm saying all this to say, like, 
when your only real interaction with police is a in even in your case in like seemingly like valid you have done a bad they have told you you've done a bad or you've seen them on tv and then it's 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 not unfair to have a idea of police work that is very disproportionate to what police work actually is so we're going to put some links in the episode description and on our twitter account uh, to some things to think about in terms of like what propaganda is as mm-hmm. a concept, like propaganda for cops and police yes. work. We're going to put together some resources for like alternatives to policing. Like actually New York city where we both used mm. to live has started calling in um, mental health support for mental health and wellness, um, like reports on nine one one and violence has gone down significantly and Hey, things are actually going pretty well just to, just to educate yourselves because yeah. listen, you know, we watch burn notice. There's, we're not innocents in like we don't consume cop media because no. I don't think that that's a realistic expectation. No. But I do think that this is a dangerous precedent to be setting that we that we believe that this is how police work works because like this kind of crime can't happen that often. You know, like my God, if there were that many serial killers right. and like violent criminals who can evade like even basic arrest procedure, then like we would be living in the purge. Exactly. And we don't. That's the thing is that like police work as it exists isn't interesting mm-hmm. like being a spy is actually pretty boring exactly no we'll but get like, to burn notice at the end of this the idea that like police work is solving murders is a very specific thing that comes out of like television and movies mm-hmm. because like solving murders is interesting right like but it's not like a thing that is like the main job of the mm-hmm. police it's not what they do and most murders don't need to be solved like most of them are like yeah you know, a domestic dispute in the sense that like drive-by. in the sense that we know who did it it's very clear not in the sense right. that like it doesn't matter if we solve no murders. no no no. yeah no that's that's a, a fair <laughs> reframing but yeah like most murders are not like huge mysteries right. that we need to spend several days like unpacking so this show is all of the worst tv assumptions about police work and crime and all of the worst solutions to the perceived issues, uh, with the, the fake uh, issues with, with police like, work and crime. With a nice heaping helping of like rich capitalists know best. Yeah, no, it's like capitalism and cops are king is the like theme of this show. And it's super uncomfortable. Also it's very uncomfortable. Two final observations that I have. So first for me, at least, even though this was based, actually, no, I guess. So the first thing I will say before my final observations is the real life case. This so, is the like unfinal observation. The unfinal observation, the final piece of context for this show that I will give is the inspiration for this story was after hurricane Katrina, there was this rich guy who lived in a mansion and there was several robberies on his block or something. And like the police just like weren't able to help. Cause it was like, you know, post Katrina, new Orleans shit was really bad. And so he essentially, t- I don't know if he took over to the same extent. I think what he did is he formed his own police, like, department like kind of private police department based on uh cops who were off duty or had retired or something like that so he wasn't actually taking over like the true new orleans police force he was kind of creating a series of like mercenaries and he did build an app so like the apb app that they use which that's one of my observations that i have to talk about but like so that he created an app for people to report crime and then if a crime was reported his little vigilante boys would go and solve it and the reason that I even wanted to mention this is like wow bummer although given the circumstances of that situation I think it makes a lot more sense than just like Chicago 
every day. But it's <laughs> so also like, like, it's like there was not quite an interesting like look into the ways that like natural disasters allow for power vacuums that like the wealthy can use to exploit to like gain right, their and that was powers. a very specific situation. Exactly, but it's also like. Divorced from that Things context. Like, but the thing is, I think it's worth like thinking about this because like our world is heading towards more and more of that context. Like mm-hmm. as like temperatures rise and like more like climate disaster happens, like there will be more and more like of a drive and a sense to like we need to allow these like private rich oligarchs to sort of police things because they have like more authority or more ability to do I mean, that. They have more money than most developed countries. Exactly. <laughs> Which is a topic for another day. But the other reason that I wanted to bring up the real life, like undercurrent of this story is that in 2021, that police force has been disbanded because the billionaire refuses to continue paying for it unless he gets like a specific tax break that they don't want to give him. So like they ran out of money because the billionaire stopped being like one of the good billionaires. Right. So um, it's almost like maybe we shouldn't give one guy control of the safety of an entire area. Right. I don't know. Just just something to think about. So the other two straight observations I have is that despite this These being, are the final ones now. These are the actual final ones. For real fine. It's like when you're naming like a file that's like the final version. Uh-huh. But like you've done that a couple of times. So it's like right. real final version for real this time 2.0. You know, that's what these observations are. And the first one is that despite this being based on a real app and a real situation. For me, before we're looking into all of that, the most unrealistic part about this show was that the uh, high-tech police force APB app, because as we both know from living through 2020, mm-hmm. that this would absolutely be full to bursting with K-pop fan cams and furry pornography instead of legitimate reports of crime. And right. the idea that they all just accept that like, yeah, people will use this exclusively for good things or occasionally a kid will use it for bad things. But even will then, be yelled at at a cop. The and then it turns out to be a real crime happening outside. Like, literally, they do a bit at the beginning wherein they get the first, like, text, the first message on the APB app is just a kid who is, like, calling it to see if it works and it feels like they're being trolled or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it turns out that kid has an abusive dad. Who they can hear through the window and so yeah, they, you know. because they go back later because he calls again and they feel like he's a boy crying wolf. But it's really like, no, there was a reason that... Even he wasn't even just trolling to troll. He was trolling because he wanted to know when his dad was being bad, he could call the cops. Right. And like, and I want to talk- put on hold, you know, the thing that happens. Although I, I do want to talk about that kid in the context of the next show. Okay. Um, and in the context of us, like, diagnosing Big Daddy Nicks. <laughs> what is Matt Nix's deal? Exactly. It's, it's the segment of the show we call Daddy's Deal. Daddy's Deal. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, so basically what I'm saying is Matt Nix is a coward for not showing me furry pornography on his little app. Right. So, moving on from that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to, my final observation, is that the pilot ends with a conflicted realist female cop who's sort of like supposed to be our, you know, grounding influence of like, you know, she was doing her best before all this high-tech stuff, and she's a little bit suspicious, but is willing to like see where it goes as long as it helps her protect the city. So this realist cop uh, high-tech tases a woman being held at gunpoint so that the woman being held would drop, and then the cop can high-tech taser the murderer of the billionaire's friend. There's a whole thing about tasers, because the thing is, he brings in these like very powerful high tech tasers yeah. and the cops don't like it because they're not guns. Mm-hmm. Like, because like there's this thing that they're trying to do. 
the thing that they're trying to do is like say, hey, maybe policing could happen without having to use fatal weaponry. Mm-hmm. But all it ends up doing is showing a lot of scenes of cops just sort of flagrantly tasing people like for no good reason. Like it's introduced in a scene wherein baby Tony Stark tases two guys that he works for and says it's okay because they work for him and he pays them. Mm-hmm. To be tased to as be demonstrations. Tased. And like, which is a very Tony Stark joke, but right. like, it's also really fucked up. Yeah, it's super fucked up. But also, yeah, the, I don't think that it is considered, because everyone acts like this is this huge celebration, um, you know, celebration moment, because like she tased the murderer guy and managed to get this woman out of there safely. She just tased a citizen. She just tased a citizen. And everyone's like, hell yeah, at least she didn't shoot her like we would have had to before. Like, well, no, what? I think like the idea is that like, Otherwise, he would have gotten away or she would have died. Yeah. Like, At least she just got tased. Exactly. Yes. There is. <laughs> Again, I think it's interesting to watch, talk about this show in the context of the next show. Mm-hmm. Like, the episode hinges on a moment wherein, like, someone has to decide what the least bad thing is. Mm-hmm. But then it's just, uh, it's considered, yes, you chose correctly. Like, there's not a lot of gray areas in right. Nick's world. And... That, I think, speaks a lot to the way that he plots things. Right. Like, the black and white nature. And, like, it's so interesting. These two episodes in particular, I feel like, are very telling about Matt Nix's, like, understanding of the world. Right. And, and how it informs some of the weaker parts of Earth. And notice. I think what's sort of interesting about, like, this show in particular and the one of your final points about, like, the app is that if this show is, like a victim of anything, it is a victim of a failure of imagination. Mm-hmm. Like, even just the, I, and I think that goes into the next show too, wherein there is like a limit to the things that people can imagine that can happen. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, I can tase this woman or she will be shot. Those mm-hmm. are the options that I have. Yeah, the- there is a very small number of options and, like, that is it. And that's why I describe the show as dangerously naive at best. Exactly. Because I think that that's, that speaks a lot to the way that Matt Nix understands the world. And it's not just about, like, a failure of imagination in terms of, like, what we can do in reaction to things. But it's also a failure of imagination in terms of what caused this problem. Right. You know, and it speaks to something that we've come back to over and over again with Burn Notice about, like, the difference between systems and one bad apples. And, like, that's obviously very <laughs> prevalent here. It's also just a failure of imagination in writing. Yeah, and I mean, that. you know, I don't think we've ever, despite our best uh, efforts at being nice to Daddy, thought he was a good writer. Right. Uh, let's move to complications. But I think it's all the same thing. There's, like... The, the thing that you were describing with, like, the furry porn, that would also be a better scene. Yeah. Like... And then having to learn to, like, filter out Exactly. The furry porn. All of that is more interesting. Like, that's one of the things that we accuse him a lot on Burn Notice is that, like, it's always the most... The least interesting thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. Like... And I feel... Like I said, I... With watching APB, halfway through, I just got bored. Like, the first half, I was so angry that I had to drink. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, Chris sent me a picture of her, like, glass in front of the video. Like, I'm eight minutes in, I have to drink something. Yeah, I literally... Bleak shit, y'all. It was bleak shit. It was so anger-inducing mm-hmm. that I did have to, like, drink. And mm-hmm. 
I don't often have to do that. I got all the way through complications and I hated complications too. Yeah. Um, complications was way more boring to me and it was so see, much longer. Oh no, my God. The thing about complications, I will say the difference between these two shows is after I watched the shows, I explained them to my friend and it, I explained everything that happened in APB in like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. It took me like a minute to explain the plot of complications. So let's let's move to complications. Complications premiered June eighteenth, twenty fifteen. So two years before APB. Uh, just another example of Daddy not learning his lesson. It was written and directed by Matt Nix, who also created it. And I guess you know what for this because this is kind of a complicated show Mm -hmm. about complications. I'm going to just read the IMDb description of the uh, pilot episode to get us started. Because I'll be honest, I had a hard time focusing on this episode because I had just watched APB and I was so furious. Like my whole body was Mm -hmm. hot. (laughs) I think with... And not in the fun way, Daddy. Yeah, I think with us, we had the experience because we watched different shows first. Mm -hmm. And so we spent the first episode being very angry and then the second episode being bored yeah that's fair i mean and let's be honest both of these shows were incredibly boring right so okay so complications is about a disillusioned er doctor who finds his existence transformed when he intervenes in a drive-by shooting saving a young boy's life and killing one of his attackers what he learned uh when he learns the boy is still marked for death he finds himself compelled to save him exactly which is like a this I want to know what the fucking pitch was for this show because it's so convoluted it's and boring. It's so convoluted and boring. Here's the thing about this episode of television. This is a worse made episode of television. Yes. Than APB. And like APB looks cheap, but competent. Mm-hmm. There is like some just really straight up. First off, most of the show is a flashback nested in a flashback. Now, yeah, the, I the, don't... The, the actual timeline was very confusing yes, to follow. I... Now, I am someone who, like, does not get that mad at nested flashbacks. Mm-hmm. I think people get overly upset at those. Yeah, I'm neutral. But it was really pointless and annoying in this one. There was no reason for it to be mm-hmm. this way. Yeah, we could have just been told this it's linearly. Like, there's, like, two different framing devices. Mm-hmm. Like, it ends where, like, it starts with, like, this guy with his wife and his house, and then he hears someone in the house, and then it's, like, ten hours earlier, mm-hmm. he is in a, like court mandated or like a hospital mandated therapy session Mm -hmm. with famous usa milf constant simmer yeah telling a story about a thing that happened to him the day or two previously so we go into another flashback very quickly it's not just that there's multiple flashbacks is that they happen in quick succession it is absolutely wild behavior it is um my my high level logline for this show uh because if the last one was like you know dangerously naive that's whatever blah, blah, blah. so my mine for complications is uh i have two i have an alternate so the first one is that the hippocratic oath is for pussies uh-huh. and then the alternate is i got into medicine to be right not to help people right <laughs> and that that's like that's where i really started to put some things together about daddy's like mm-hmm. brain um, the thing is but let's talk about complications well, so, specifically. like i will say the thing that I think is interesting about Complications is that Complications is clearly Matt Nix's attempt to do an anti-hero show. Mm-hmm. In Matt Nix's mind, this is his Breaking Bad. Well, th- I mean, is, is are you responding to the fact that somebody on Twitter said that to us? Uh, no, I don't pay attention to anything anyone tells me on Twitter. I was just watching it because it feels like, A, the lead has very strong Walter White energy, just really aggrieved white man energy. 
Well, it's funny you say that. So Derek Hudgen, one of our Twitter followers, and presumably one of the listeners of our podcast said, because uh, when I announced that this was, we were doing yeah. this episode, uh, they responded, oof, enjoy the Breaking Bad wannabe train wreck that is complications. It is. And I mean, having not seen Breaking Bad, I don't oh know my if gosh. that's true, but you seem to think oh, that it is. But oh here's my, God. my thing. Breaking Bad also starts with an in media res opening. That's oh, oh, it does. But, like, that was a more effective use of No, of, of course. It. No, that's what I'm saying. Is it's very clearly, that's why it's in there. But what's interesting to me about this comparison is that, like, as far as I understand it, Breaking Bad is an anti-hero in that, like, something very terrible has happened to him. The system has failed him. And so his only way to save his own life and, like, keep his family fed is to do something, like, really awful. But what happens in complications isn't that. No, it's not that. Like, the system seems like it's f- fine and makes total sense. And this one guy is like, but I'm the only one who can fix it only i can fix you know it's very donald trump logic where no, it's like it's very... i noticed this first so i should be in charge of fixing it even though it's fucking not my job exactly like the difference between there's no desperation like, here yes no the difference between uh justin kirk's tony stark and this guy is that this guy is infinitely less likable oh yeah so much he less is likable. like one of the most unlikable television characters that i have ever come across like i hate this man so much like played by jason o'mara yeah he is terrible no the the show kind of gives us its like thesis statement early on he is in this meeting with constant zimmer poor constant zimmer who i love is Mm -hmm. trying her best yeah and he explains that people don't die in hospitals (laughs) people yes they stop living like their lives they expire. They just stop being alive. <laughs> yes, they expire in hospitals or ever. But there was a moment before they came into the hospital where they could have kept going and being alive. And then that moment was over. And that is the moment when they truly die. And so if he Yeah, is, but that's none of your fucking business. You're a doctor. Exactly. But that is like his... That is the whole idea of the show is the idea that if you are a doctor who truly cares about your patients, you will murder the people who are trying to hurt them because that is the only way to keep your patients safe is to murder minorities. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so this made me this, the reason that like I had a really hard time connecting with this show in particular is because I think that it is like obviously fundamentally the worst exploration of like a medical professional attempting to do right. Especially when you compare it to two much better shows uh outlander and scrubs now these might seem like kind of wild common a wild combination but i think well, that they're... The there is a thing that they have in common and it is that they are two of Bree's favorite shows yes but like thematically there's not a lot similar however the way that like being a physician is treated in both of them i think is a much more interesting exploration because unlike you know, Matt Nix, one thing has gone wrong and only one man who's right about everything can save everyone. Like Scrubs, I think, is an interesting exploration of like, uh, and you know, Dr. Cox in particular is a good exploration of sort of the futility of medicine. And, you know, there's an episode early on in Scrubs where um, JD, where Zach Braff is really trying to like connect with a a smoker of his patient of his who has like a a cancer scare. And it turns out it's everything is fine. I mean, he's sick with something unrelated, but like next time it could be cancer. And JD gets really invested in trying to like save this young man's life, get him at, you know, stop smoking. And at the end of the episode, the kid starts smoking again. And Dr. Cox is like, listen, 
that is not your job. Your job is to give him the best advice you can give him to treat him and, you know, get him out of here. And when he comes back with cancer, we'll treat that too. That is your job. Our job is to help them to the best of our abilities. But if you are living and dying by every single patient that comes through here, you're never going to make it. Yeah, but then you can't do a television show that's about, like, shooting people of color. Right, exactly. Um, and so, But then I really want to quickly want to talk about Outlander. <laughs> because Outlander, I think, does an, an equally interesting thing as Scrubs about physicians, but in a slightly uh, different way. Because, like, that show, I think, is a better comparison to this one because it's a lot of, you know, complexity and shooting and fighting. And, you know, like, there's yeah. a lot of wartime things right. going on. And what I love about Outlander, and in particular the books where you get a lot more into the main character's head, is that... Like, especially once she goes back to the past, so it's like Outlander, she is accidentally transported to the past, then goes back to the future, and then comes back to the past. <laughs> and so, uh, in between that time, when she was in the future, she became a real doctor instead of just a nurse. And when she comes back to the past, having been like a real doctor, having taken the Hippocratic Oath, like she is constantly put into situations where she is sort of be like placed in situations where somebody is very hurt and they're a really bad person. They Sometimes they've even done something bad specifically personally to her or someone else. And there's this conflict for her of like, as a human, I think this person should die. As a doctor, that's not my choice. I took an oath to save people's lives. I have to believe that justice will come for them in some other way. But my job as a doctor is to save people regardless of how bad they are. And I think that that is, and every time it happens, there, there's a different, you know, angle to it. And I think that's so fucking interesting. I mean, that's And fair. then there's this show and it's just like, Hippocratic Oath who? I don't think, I don't necessarily think that it's fair, like, to compare them that way because that's not the goal of the show. But it's about, like, the... the. I mean, but it is. It's about, like, the role of doctors in society. I mean, kind of, but it's... Again, I feel like... And also, I do think... The thing about Matt Nick's writing an anti-hero show mm-hmm. is that he can't do it. Like, well, no. No, no, but, like, that's, like, important because, like, he cannot write this person as, like... I mean, he's writing a person who's a bad person, but, like, he actually thinks that he's right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the all thing of is Matt that, like, Nix's characters thinks that they're right. Exactly. No, no, no. I mean, Matt Nix thinks that the guy is right. Mm-hmm. Like, in the sense that, like, like, this guy is not Walter White. This is a guy who watches Breaking Bad and thinks that Walter White is the hero. Mm-hmm. And, like, the show pushes back against that a little... But not really in any major way. And it's like, and so it wants to be like, and yeah, it really does want to be like an exploration of like the difficulties of being a cop while you're also racist. And <laughs> well, preventative, real preventative care isn't teaching people how not to smoke. It's killing the killers before they get to the hospitals. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is some like Captain America 2 bullshit. It is. I can read your DNA and tell if you're going to do a crime in the future. Like, fuck off. Exactly. That is, no, like, and I keep harping on this because like, this is a show that's about a doctor racially profiling people. Like, mm-hmm. 100%. Like, even more than the cop show somehow. I'll be honest, I didn't pick up on that part mostly because I wasn't paying attention because as soon as I got the idea of it, I was like, I'm so confused and I don't care. No, I didn't like, see this. No, like, this is a, like, thing about the show, which is why I kind of mentioned in the last show the moment with the kid who calls ABB. Right. Or, and because the way that both that child mm-hmm. and then his patient right. in this show... The one that's show, still marked for death. The one that's still marked for death function is sort of, like... The sacrificial lambs that 
allow the show to say that they're not racist. Because basically the subtext of both of these shows is that like black children are angels until they grow up, in which point they become scary. Mm-hmm. So like And thank God there's rich white men to take to a like, peg. Exactly. And to like keep them safe from becoming adult men who they're afraid of. So like both of these children have adult fathers who are scary. Like, we finally, like, find out, like, this kid's dad in Complications is, like, a rival gang leader. This is all about gang violence. Right. Because of course it is. Mm -hmm. And, like, he is threatening. And his gang is just as threatening as the gang that is trying to kill the kid. The kid is the only one who is in any way innocent because he has the innocence of youth. But in, in the same way, these are both shows about how, like, the other is scary. But Mm -hmm. especially Complications is about the way that, like, the other is scary because, like, everyone, like, he literally just, there's various scenes of this guy who has, like, weird PTSD because he murdered someone, Mm -hmm. like, looking at Latino man and going, that's, that's gang members. And, like, getting tense about it. And then he winds up being right. Yep. Yeah, I know. That's the, that's the huge bummer. So a couple you of things to... about the way that the other doctors respond to this racial profiling. So there's this one scene where he tells somebody, we took an oath to do no harm sanctimoniously, while then begging to be allowed to continue doing harm because he, as God, because all of Matt Nix's mm-hmm. characters are gods, knows which harm is good harm and which is bad. And that is actually what the Hippocratic Oath really means. And then there's also, right after he comes back to the hospital, having shot the guy to save the little boy, the, the current angel, future gang of mm-hmm. course. They've made him a cake where he's a superhero right. on a cake because he shot a guy. Right. I There's a moment early on, right after he shoots the guy. And like, to give people context, if they haven't seen it, you should not watch the show. No, don't watch so the like, show. You also have to pay for it. I had to pay for both of these shows. I had to pay for both of these shows. It was terrible. And I'm really mad. Um, I did donate to a bail fund afterwards, uh, triple the amount that I paid for these shows, hoping to like, I, balance out I my paid, ledger a little. I will say, like, <laughs> Frankly, out of petty reasons, I paid for, I only paid for a standard deaf AP. AP. <laughs> I didn't have the option to go one or the other. I, just... I was like, yeah, no, I'm gonna, only going to pay for it in standard deaf. I'm not going to like buy high deaf. Um, <laughs> Anyways. But like, so there's a moment uh, after, shortly after he kills the guy. Yeah. And then like, wherein the police come mm-hmm. and like says, okay, we're going to take you in. And then he says, am I being arrested? Like, offended. He's so confused at the idea that, like, yeah, you did shoot a person. Like, and, like, to be fair, not to be fair, but, you know. <laughs> to like, be fair It's, and like, the lost. idea, they're, like, setting it up is that he had to make this terrible choice. Like, because there was a dying child in the street and, like, a car was, like, bearing down on them. And, like, he had to shoot the guy because otherwise the guys were going to come and kill them both. Because that's, like, the thing. Much like the ending of APB, it's about... Well, we're going to have to shoot somebody. (coughs) Who's the person that we can shoot so that the least people die? Those are the only solutions that present themselves. In the end, those are the only real problems that people face is which person can I shoot so that the least amount of people die? Mm -hmm. And like, and these are the hard problems of the world. It's very like dark utilitarianism. It's like it's like boy utilitarianism. Where it is it's boy like utilitarianism. I want to shoot. Who do I shoot for least harm to people? Exactly. Um, and there is a scene later too. I will say talking about the doctors. Most of the doctors love this guy. 
they're on board. There is a scene in this episode wherein another doctor has a patient that is, again, like a Latino man. Mm -hmm. And like our doctor looks at him and immediately goes, he is going to kill my patient. And then like goes in, finds out that he has a gun and then starts being incredibly violent with this man while the other doctor whose patient it is, who is a black man, watches in horror as like this white man like is violent and almost shoots this man with his own gun in the like police station and like he is or like in the hospital, right. In the hospital. And this man has to watch in horror as this thing is about to happen. And it's just like the idea that he has sort of free reign to just do whatever he wants because he is right. Mm -hmm. And then like, even by the end of the episode, like it almost, it plays as a weird sort of like reveal. Like Constance Zimmer has this moment where like when he explains what happened, she's like, Oh, so you weren't crazy. You were stalling for time. Like, it's like, no, he is crazy. Like, that's the idea. Is that, like, the idea... The two is, things can be true at once, Constance. Exactly. Ever. No, he is absolutely crazy. I do want to take a second... Well, first, I want to talk about... I mentioned earlier that it's a very poorly made, put-together piece of television. And I want to use that as a segue to talk about another thing. But about the abusive husband plotline? I mean, Because I have that. some things to say about I that. I won't get to that. Just, I want to say really quickly. First off, I want to talk about the wife. Okay. The wife is terrible. Oh, yeah. Beth Reesgraff. I love Beth Reesgraff. She's from Leverage. You're going to love her in Leverage. It's such a bummer that you saw her first in fucking Complications. And it's like, and she's given, like, a thankless role. One of the worst, like, put upon wife, nagging wife roles that I've ever seen in my life. It's such a thankless role. But there's this moment early on in the episode wherein, like, so. He's playing with the kid or something, and the kid's doing a thing or whatever with the dog. His son. And the son. Mm-hmm. Like, because they have a son. They used to have a daughter, but the daughter died of something. I don't remember what. It doesn't matter. Kid, they're playing kid, with the dog. Kid illness. Kid is playing with the dog. The wife says very, like, snappily, like, don't rile him up. Then, like, the husband says, oh, no, we're just doing a thing. Her demeanor changes completely. Like, her face, like completely changes. It is as if she forgot the way that she was feeling 15 seconds ago. It is like crazy psychopath behavior. And then like, and then they talk for a second and then mid sentence, almost like mid conversation, the scene cuts in there in the bedroom. There is like, that was super confusing. This was this wild cut wherein like, she says she says something, he responds, and they cut, and then she responds like it's the same conversation. But like it seems like later in the day they're going to bed, and it's the whole show is like that. It's so weird with its timeline of what's happening. It's a fucking mess on an editing level mm-hmm. and on a writing women level. Well, I mean it's a Matt Nick show. Exactly. 
Oh my god. Yeah. And so then there's not maybe not a lot to say about the abusive husband storyline, but it's just like another example of like a fundamental misunderstanding of like the purpose of being a doctor where there's this um this woman and her husband come in and the woman is clearly got beat up by her husband and the story is she fell because it was always is. Yeah. They managed to use, you know, medical jargon to get the husband out of the room for a little bit to talk to her. And the woman's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so what they do instead is like a series of escalating scams, like him and this cool nurse who oh, doesn't yeah. button the up cool, her scrubs. The angry nurse that like no one likes, like she's about to be fired. And she should be because she's yeah. taking liberties. Like exactly. it's not your fucking job. You know, you can give this woman as many, you know, But that means things. that our doctor likes her mm-hmm. because... Well, you know, neither of them should be doctors. They exactly. should both fully be barred from practicing medicine. No, and so like, and we should we should point out that like they get the husband out of the room. This woman berates the woman for like being abused. I mean, I'm sure it's because she was abused in her past. I think then, I think they might have even made that text at some point. They, I stopped I'm, giving a shit. I know they probably did, but it's like just really hor- like annoying and horrifying, and mm-hmm. it's like what is this thing that's going on? Yeah, and and once again, it's like it's. Matt Nix approaches this as a with a very simplistic boy logic of man hit you, woman leave or woman stupid. There's there's no exploration of like what else happens. Where will this woman go? What led her to this? Like what are the what are her other circumstances beyond man bad? Like and this is the thing too, right? Is that like in this scene, we've already had a lot of scenes of our doctor being a fucking crazy shithead yes but he can't be a crazy shithead in this scene he still needs to be more calm and knowledgeable oh than the woman than the woman for sure about like dealing with domestic violence mm-hmm. like he has to be the like one who is like better at dealing with domestic violence than the woman even though he is like a crazy shithead crazy shithead is doing all kinds of different violence <laughs> Like, well, remember, he is God, and he knows what violence is good violence and exactly. what violence. He is the only one who knows the line, and even as society tries to keep him down, he is the good vigilante. I know, and I what I want to make clear as we talk about this is that, like, to some extent, this is the point of the show. Like, it might not be fair to criticize it for having this character be a bad person because it is a show about the guy being a bad person. It is, like, it is meant to be an anti-hero show, but, like, the show cannot commit to doing that Mm -mm. because, like, he can't do anything that's, like, got negative consequences. Right. Like, he has All of his bad boy behavior is still, like, leading to good results. Exactly. Because he ultimately is right, and he ultimately is truthful, and, you know, all of this shit. Nothing that he does in the episode is actually a thing that makes things materially worse for anybody. It just makes the women around him annoyed. It makes other people, like, a little bit uncomfortable. Exactly. But, like, their discomfort is painted as, like, them being unreasonable. Yes. And, like, and that's the flaw. I think, like, if you want to make this a show about how this is a terrible man, you've done that. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. But you have to write everything around him differently. You have to write the consequences differently. And But then also, if that is the true goal of the show as Matt Nix sees it, what do you think he's trying to say with the show? I mean... Like, what, what, are we, what are we rooting for? What are we taking away? Exactly. But that's the thing, is that, like, he doesn't have enough control over that in the writing. Like, it really does feel like it's the aesthetics of an anti-hero show that doesn't understand... 
how anti-hero shows work. Exactly. <laughs> and to be fair, there are a lot of these. Like, this is a sure. little bit post that time. Mm-hmm. By the time, like, TV trends filter down to Matt Nix, they've been, like, kind of stale for a little while. Sure. But, yeah, like, this thing that he is doing is just not a thing that he is really adept at or even understands why those shows work in a very fundamental way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I feel like I'm ready to psychoanalyze Matt Nix. Let's psychoanalyze Matt Nix. And I... Um, this is now uh, Daddy's Deal. <laughs> it's, it's Daddy's Deal. Welcome to Daddy's Deal, where we figure out what Daddy's Deal is. First, I want to take a walk down memory lane to look at the other protagonists from the Matt Nix pilots that we've watched over the course of the last two years. Good God. Mm-hmm. We have been watching so much Matt Nix we shit. We've watched so much Matt Nix shit. So for complications, we have a hero vigilante doctor mm-hmm. who is a genius. Yes. Uh, APB, we have literally Tony Stark, who is mm-hmm. a hero, billionaire, engineering, tech genius. Yes. For the good guys, we have the hero who saved the mayor. Right. Is that what he did? Uh, and a misunderstood, slightly rude, but still genius cop. Uh, I mean, he's a little bit less of a genius. But he's, he's, tre- he's, it's implied that he would be good at his job if he wasn't so fucking annoying. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's a little bit, he is a little bit more of a almost, not necessarily Mr. Magoo type character. Right. Or like there's both still heroes. But and he's like, a little bit fit. He, he is a little bit of a lucky failure, but yes. But still, at the end of the day, they are the good guys. Yes. They are heroes. That this is the name is of the show. Not yes. complicated. Right. I know what I did there, Chris. Uh, the Gifted, we have Hero Magic Children and their newly freedom-fighting father. For the comedians, we have an extremely bad show, but also two allegedly talented, successful comedians who are comically bad at their own careers, but are for whatever reason not fully canceled. Um, and then... I mean, they did get cancelled. Yes. But, like, within the context of the show. And I think... This is my theory. Why I think Burn Notice works where all of these other shows fail is two parts. So the first is that while Burn Notice is certainly about a genius hero spy, it starts with him in actual, like, plot disgrace. So despite the fact that Michael Weston is always right, which is a, a problem we've had a lot, and despite the fact that Michael Weston is like a hero whatever and is extremely good at everything except for talking Spanish, he is fundamentally like incapable of really reaching his full potential for a lot of burn notice as a result of the disgrace mm-hmm. that he was put into. And so I think that's the first thing that makes it work because even though he is right, he's put in a world where him being right is sort of irrelevant and it doesn't really matter. Like right. he can solve these micro problems, but his macro problem that like his hero vigilantism comes from is not really a part of the story until we fall in love with him a little more. And then I think the other piece of it that helps is something that we identified early on is what makes an interesting Burn Notice episode where the weekly problem is solved with spycraft, which is inherently nonviolent. That the goal of spycraft is to avoid violence over violence. And why that works is because like, that's the exact opposite of every other Matt Nix show. Every other Matt Nix show is the hero in their element and maybe things are going well, wrong, I will, but they're still a hero. I don't, I would say... And also violence is treated as the ultimate end. I would say not The Gifted quite as much, but I also think The Gifted is his best non-Burn Notice show. Sure. And it's also very fundamentally different. It has, like, supernatural stuff. But, like, you know, it's still fairly black and white. It's fairly black and white. But, I mean, Burn Notice is fairly black and white. But, like, the thing I actually think that Burn Notice and The Gifted have the most in common is that they are both, like, people who are, like you were saying, on the outs with systems. Mm -hmm. We do think... We do talk about how, like, he doesn't super understand systems all mm-hmm. that much, but he does understand them enough to know how 
that like to write characters who are sort of more on the outs with systems. Mm -hmm. And so like in APB and complications and weirdly kind of the comedians, these are all people who are deeply embedded in systems and are doing, are sort of working within that for Mm -hmm. good or for ill. Right. Uh, And I also, you know what I also think is that one of the reasons that Michael Weston works more than any of these other um, people is the like inherent lack of charisma that Jeffrey Donovan gives him. I actually do think that that is a major part of him working because also like he is not only like super uncharismatic, but he is also forced to almost exclusively use his words to get to his end, which forces the show to be more complex because we have to talk it out. We have to see how this works without just like shooting a bad guy and being like, hooray amazing like right. he he is this very uncharismatic man constantly put upon to be charismatic seems to resent it which is very funny but he still does it every single time and he's so boring but he is so like well i can't just shoot everyone i have to be smarter than that and it also i think forces the show to be more kind because no. when you're not just like your solution isn't just like murder or not murder <laughs> when right. there's something when the solution has to be more interesting in that to like ladder up to what the show is about you have to be kinder and more empathetic and that's how you get episodes like um fearless leader yeah. where we're kind of empathetic to the bad guy and that's how we get you know for better or worse we have fee who's like a reformed bad guy and is still kind of allowed to be bad sometimes but like we are allowed to treat people as complex human beings because we have to actually talk to them before just deciding Latino man, uh, gang member, kill, kill on sight. Right. And I do think like, and again, I think this is another reason why The Gifted is the other show that kind of works, is that it kind of goes back to that thing wherein because like these characters are not, are characters that are fundamentally on the outside or on the outs, these are outsider characters, like they kind of have to, have to be kind. There's like more of a sense of like needing to bend together. I think lots of times, like a major theme of Matt Nix's work is like characters operating outside the law because the law is limiting. Mm-hmm. And like whether or not a Matt Nix show works, like her Matt Nix episode or anything, comes down to whether or not like the law is not working because systems are hurting people or because they don't allow renegade white dudes to do whatever they want. A hundred percent. I think that's such an important distinction to make because yeah, he understands systems, but he inherently believes that they are correct. They're just limited because of bureaucracy yes. and not because of like white supremacy exactly. and you know, yes. misogyny. If, if, but yes, if like bureaucracy is the problem, if like the, the problem is that like these men, fucking pencil pushers exactly. men not being men exactly then that then the show doesn't work but again like that's and sometimes burn notice can get drift into that mm-hmm. but like fundamentally it's less that it's more like these systems aren't working for these people. And so we need to bring a full outsider. And that's also, I think, what works is that, like, uh, obviously Burn Notice functions very similarly to a cop show. That's why we have the, the like, the tenant of it has to be solved with not violence, but spycraft. But despite functioning as a cop show, he's not a cop. He right. doesn't work with the police. You know, sometimes he'll throw them a bone, but, like, fundamentally, there is a reason the police can't get here. And so it is harder for them to pretend, well, the police are good, actually, 
we just can't use them today. Exactly. Like, they can say that. They can pay lip service to that. But the show doesn't feel like we believe cops should no, be solving it's always problems. like, no, they, there is always a moment in an episode of Burn Notice where they have to explain why they can't call the police. And even though it's and never it's, ne- actively negative towards the police. I mean, but, like, sometimes it is. It's like, sure. But, like, oftentimes it is usually not about, like, paperwork or, like, because, mm-hmm. like, it's always a little bit more about the limits of, like, not what the police can do like violence wise or like but like limits on like the scope of like what police naturally tend to do mm-hmm. like about the limits of the scope of the police as naturally enforcers of like the system as it exists because that is their main role mm-hmm. like where I notice understands that a little bit more and understands that like the world's more complicated than complicated and that like police are fundamentally not people that are there to serve and protect right whereas they're like, much more reactive AP, yeah, whereas apb 100 percent believes that police are there to serve and protect mm-hmm. but just like they don't have enough money to do that right and that sort of thing and i think that like that is really the fundamental difference in why a Matt Nick show works and why it doesn't because he cannot see that distinction. Mm-mm. Like, yeah, I think his very his worldview kind of boils down to if the world can be fixed by one man brave enough to be right all of the time, which is what all of his protagonists are, yes. then no problem can be much bigger than one man cowardly enough to be wrong and powerful nonetheless. It's very simplistic and reductive, but that's how he sees the world. It's like, do you have all this written down in your laptop? Yeah, I do. I wrote a lot of notes. I have a lot of things about like the psychoanalyst analysis of Daddy Nick's. Uh, I also say that Nix's understanding of the criminal justicism and his fetishistic obsession with put-upon genius white men who shoot guns righteously is so surface-level and basic boy bullshit, and he needs to fucking grow up. I just want listeners to know that she has notes and I don't have notes, which is why she's able to just, like... She's not ex- in extemporaneously just saying all of this bullshit. I probably could have. But no, yes, I wanted to write down the fetishist- fetishistic obsession with put-upon genius white men who shoots guns right- righteously. Because I feel like it's important. It is important. No, I agree. It's very much. It's very important. Also, speaking of all your notes and psychoanalyzing Big Daddy Nicks. Yes. I want to talk about a very quick exchange that we had over text, which is I was watching ABB and then said, texted Brie, Matt Nix has a type. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so what do you say by that? So matt nix when it comes to like a lot of the women on his shows mm-hmm. unless they are a wife wives are blonde and bad wives are blonde and bad but the the woman that is good the woman that he wants is always like a like either gruff or kind of wild racially ambiguous brunette woman mm-hmm. in her 20s yep like there or sometimes she can be a milf Mm-hmm. I mentioned Constant Simmer, but I do. I should point out that Complications has my favorite milf. My favorite milf, Lauren Stimiel. Yeah, Lauren Stimiel is definitely in that show. We didn't even mention that. We I have it in my that. notes that like I'm so devastated She's... that both Beth Re- Beth Reesgraf, Lauren Stimiel, and Constant Simmer are all forced to be in this terrible, terrible fucking show. show. That's they, like the show should be about them, right? <laughs> Actually, talking about two burn notice should be about Fee. If we, okay, if you're going to talk about shows that you love, I'm going to take a second to talk about Halt and Catch Fire. Okay. Because Halt and Catch Fire is a show that has, in its first season, is very much a kind of man anti-hero show. Like, like it is a show that is like about like these computer salesmen in the 80s trying to make and sell computers. And in the first season, there are 
like there's like two male leads and two like female leads the main lead of the show is like this put upon like computer salesman who has a wife who's kind of nagging him and like is having a bad point in his life and the show as it goes on eventually kind of just decides you know what the wife is more interesting than him and then it starts to become a show about the wife and i feel like watching it really makes me feel like we can do this more like if you notice that like the women in your show are more interesting you can pivot and just start being about the women mm-hmm. like halton catch fire did it and it became a better show like, yeah I, I feel like um like you know that show the good girls with right uh, i feel like that's a show that basically skipped a season two because i can totally see that show and like the that movie that was basically the same plot Mm -hmm. like the first season being about like the men and like these put upon wives and the men kind of go on the run and the show decides actually fuck those guys let's see what the wives are up to exactly and i i love that for them also like the guy who is the lead on halt and catch fire are you considering the guy that's not lee pace to be the lead well he seems to be in the show like the sort of audience identification character. Yeah, because, that doesn't like, mean he's the lead. I mean, like, well, they're both leads. I feel like Lee Pace is Lee Pace the, is the lead, but, like... totally the lead. Lee Pace is the lead, Bisexual but also... Bisexual disaster Lee Pace. Yes, but also Lee Pace is the character that everyone is looking at. Like, Lee Pace is almost like a character... He's like a spectacle, but He's not... a spectacle, yes. Okay. Like, whereas, like, but Lee Pace is a spectacle, like, the other guy is sort of the audience identification. Sure. That is, like, the way the show works. Like, especially in the first season... The first season of the show is kind of a show about looking at Lee Pace. And like, which is like a good fun thing to do. Right. No one's bad about that. No, of course not. I enjoy. Although I do think he gets hotter as it goes on. Ooh. Well, that's an exciting like, reason halfway to go through back the, to it. Halfway through the show, he grows a beard. Oh, good. Oh, my, no. Like, oh, good. God. And the show like <laughs> ends in like, I will say the show like ends in like the early 90s. And so like he starts looking kind of like a little bit grunge. Hmm. And it's like hot. All right. Well, uh, anyway, let's let's circle back. To, circling back um, <laughs> to psycho, also, psychoanalyzing to say daddy. One more thing, really quickly. That guy on Halt and Catch Fire does kind of look like Matt Nix. I don't think that's true. Did you see him when he shaved his beard off? No. What is Google, his name? Scoot McNary. <laughs> that's the real name. Of the first class. <laughs> now, like, yes. Now Google Matt Nix. No, I know a man. I. I have a perfect mind palace recreation of Matt Nix's face in my head at all I'm times. I'm just saying that Scoot McNary could play Matt Nix in a movie. I think Scoot McNary's a little goofier looking. Like, Matt Nix is sort Matt of looks is... like a turtle. Yeah. He's got, he's got more turtle energy. That's and I feel true. like Scoot a more... McNary's a little bit more like, like... A little more rodent-y. I was going to say rodent, but that seemed rude. But like, marsupially. Marsupially. He does. He has a little bit of a marsupially. I don't think... I will say, I don't think looking rodent-like is inherently bad. There are a lot of attractive men who are rodent-like. That's true. That's fair. But yeah, no, I, I think he, he's got too much... Scoot McNary has too much texture on his face. Like, Matt, Matt Nix is smooth. That's like true. An egg. <laughs> Matt Nix is not an egg. Um, I knew you were going to of say course. that. I am talking about the literal egg that comes out of a chicken's asshole. And it's quite smooth. Um, anyway, but that is the main thing I wanted to say about Hulk and Catch Fire. And... 
what were we talking about? <laughs> well, unfortunately, Matt Nix. I, I do think, though, that it is a dangerous thing to, for us to say, Matt Nix, make your shows about the women in them, because we know he would do bad at that. He would do bad at that. It would be all about, like, makeups and periods, and then a man would come in and be right, and they're all like, oh, the man is all right. Let's all compete over him. Because that's all that he can his, his imagine will allow him to understand. I mean... Yes. Because, like, one of our main problems with Fee in Burn Notice is that we think she's right, but the show doesn't. Right. But I also kind of wonder if, like, if he had to, if, like, that was, like, if that was the challenge for him, if he couldn't get there. Because, like, and if you filled your writing staff with women. Right. And, like, like, I... That's the thing, is that I'm very curious what the, like, writing staff looked like on these two shows. Because... You know, Burn Notice is a boys' club. There's, uh, except for one season, there is always a single token woman in the room. Right. But, like, it's mostly a boys' club. Oh, our, our pals Peter Lelayanis and Ryan Johnson wrote uh, an episode or co-wrote. They were executive story. No, and... I think this is the reason that everyone works with Matt Nix, is that he brings people back. He's, like, a nice guy. He gets, and somehow is able to greenlit gets, the worst fucking shows imaginable. Like, he what gets is the people pitch work. for complications? Okay. Dr. Bachut. Dr. Yes, Bashut. here's a million dollars. Dr. Shooty. No, I think, like, was it Neil Gaiman who said that if you want to be successful, you have to be, like, you have to be, like, good. You have to have make good work, work on time, um, or be easy to work with, and you only need two of those. Like, as long as you, like, as long as you turn in your shit on time and are easy to work with, you don't have to be good. And by the same token, as long as you, like, are good and you get your work in time you don't have to be easy to work with but like you can only as long as you do that and like matt nix seems like the real poster child for like is easy to work with and get stuff in on time it's frankly too much in on time i wish he would pull out a little more often a little earlier i i don't need to know what he does in this. <laughs> well okay so this is we're 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 gonna watch Turner and Hooch next, which I guess he, people keep saying it was created by Matt Nix, so maybe it was created by Matt Nix. That's what I'm. That's what I saw online too. I for some reason I assumed it was created by Michael Horowitz, or like Michael Horowitz was like the main person. Hmm. But yeah, I might have Matt Nix. Yeah, no, Matt Nix created it. Okay, so we're gonna watch the most recent Matt Nix project, Turner and Hooch. Next, we will be drinking. Yeah, as is our right. Uh huh. As women. Right, and I think. I'm really excited to drink a lot of alcohol in this very hot apartment. Well, we'll turn the air on while we're watching the show. I mean, fair. <laughs> but, but I mean, what I... it was on the last time I was here, and I still got real dehydrated. <laughs> well, clearly I wasn't um, giving you enough liquid. God. So, uh, but no, I, you... I think that Turner and Hooch seems like it's going to be pretty far out. Uh, like, it's going to be even further out of the, like normal Matt Nix nonsense but because also, it's a Disney show. Am, but it is a crime show, so I'm very a curious. Crime show. I am very curious. Do you want to do a moratorium on, like, this is the definitive psychoanalysis of Matt Nix now, or do you want to do it when we're drunker and have watched Turner and Hooch? Um, I, I'm trying to come up with, how do we end this episode, Christine Cherry? I think that, like, this is a cliffhanger. Okay. It's what it is, is that, like, much like complications, we're going to end at the very last minute with a weird left field cliffhanger that these are not all of the Matt Nick shows, that there is this other one, a, an adaptation of the movie Turner and Hooch. 
Yeah, that is on Disney Plus, starring Josh Peck. Right. Who's went from like the sort of fat joke to the only good one from Drake and Josh. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, I mean, like of the two, I mean, of the it, two. it seems like uh, what's her face, iCarly's doing pretty well. She seems no. nice enough. She seems doing all right. Why is that? Why is there a new iCarly? I mean, Francesca Ramsey's a writer on it. She seems nice. I'm glad she's doing well. All right, that's fine. Here is your cliffhanger. Thanks so much to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. Find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. Follow us on Twitter at burnnoticedpod. Email us at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com. There's no at at the beginning. It's just burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com, I think. Yeah. Is that our email? Burn Who gives a po- shit? Burn Figure it podcast out. at gmail.com. That is our email. Okay. Tune, I can in, never tune in next week to see if our opinion about Big Daddy changes. Yeah. Do we think he's still a childish, dangerous, naive, capitalist, copaganda bitch? Well, he is working with Disney, so probably. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Okay, bye. It might not be next week, though. I don't know how I'm going to be putting these episodes out. Goodbye, everyone.